We pray about the the giant that we need to face today, that you'd give us grace and courage and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, for these last few weeks, we have been contending with giants. And we have been using the model of uh, David and Goliath to help us to see how to address that. And we've sometimes had giants that were big old monstrous type things that had multiple heads and were fearsome to behold and all that. But today's giant is a little more subtle. Today's giant is almost invisible. It's internal. I'm calling today's giant the personhood giant. And in a moment, I'm going to be reading out of the Bible in the New Testament from the book of Galatians, the sixth chapter. So if you want to find that and mark it and read it with me in a moment, Galatians 6. But let me begin our thoughts with a woman I met once that I'll just call Jane. Jane had been raised in a family where she had been molested. And after some period of time, she finally disclosed to her mother what was going on. And her mother did not disbelieve her, but her mother did kind of move into denial and wouldn't altogether accept the reality of it. And so nothing was done. No validation of Jane's dilemma and no protection for Jane's welfare, well-being. And so this continued for a while. And Jane began to assume, as most kids would, there must be something wrong with me, that this is happening to me and, and my mother doesn't do anything about it. Um, I must be broken in some kind of way. I must be guilty. I must be dirty. And she began to deal with all of that inner conflict and confusion and turmoil and pain in ways that a lot of people would deal with that, and that is chasing after acceptance and popularity and slipping into promiscuity so that she married very early to a guy that she should have never spent any time with. And he began to drink and he began to beat her. And that finally got to such a point that she escaped that marriage only to leap into another with another abuser. By the time I met Jane, she was with her fourth husband. And when I met her, she was wearing sunglasses to more or less hide the two black eyes that she had. Uh, she probably couldn't even remember a time when she didn't have bruises on her arms and on her abdomen. She had false teeth because all of her teeth had been knocked out at one point or another. And when I met her, still a very young woman. Trapped in bondage to what I would call personhood giants. 
these kind of invisible yet insidious messages that are in our heads and our hearts that tell us how bad and how awful, how undeserving we are for life to happen well. You got a personhood giant? You got any of those kinds of issues that just invisibly operate within you in destructive and defeating kinds of ways? That's a rhetorical question, because I know you do. We all do. The only way you don't is if you're not a part of the human race, and we can talk later about what planet you're from, okay? <laughs> but if you're from this planet and a part of the human race, you've got stuff, you've got issues, you've got junk in the trunk, as they say, and it's a, it's a gigantic thing to contend with and to address, and that's what this hour is going to be about. Will you, in fact, invite God to open the door of a closet that's somewhere in the corners of your heart, to take a peek in with God. God already knows what's there. But to allow Him to give you a greater sense of clarity and understanding and discernment about what is the junk in the trunk that He would want to touch in a healing, redemptive, rebuilding kind of way. And even as I say that, I know that there is going to be some kind of resistance to all that I think God's up to over these next few minutes because we have grown accustomed to living in these cycles of dysfunction. It's just where we've been and what we know. And Scott, you start talking about change and it fears, it feels a little fearsome. So, for example, how many conversations have I had with how many of you through the years, about your worrisome, fretful ways. There's some of you in here, you cannot begin your day without getting up and worrying about what's going to transpire throughout the day. And you worry throughout the day, you worry at the end of the day, you worry the next day. And when I start talking, or the Bible begins to address in your share group or whatever other setting, that worry is a sin, that God wants you to trust Him and not fret and wring hands and all that kind of stuff, it, it finds no penetration in your heart. Because worry is what you know. I mean, on one level, yeah, gee, I sure would like to worry less. But on another level, you have no clue how to live without worry. And so there is some resistance to what God might want to do at that point because it's the unknown. Some of us work way too much and way too hard. We've learned to contend with other deficiencies and other problematic things in our lives by working a lot. Because after all, it can be for some of us a little bit of an arena where we have a little bit more control than in some of the other arenas in which we have to live. And doggone it, it feels good to have a little control over here if I don't have it over there. And I also get a few accomplishments over here and I get a few attaboys and a few pats on the back and a few bonuses and rewards. I don't get anything over here. And so when we start talking about God wanting to address a workaholic-type disposition in you, it's like, "Mm, I know somebody needs that. Some of us every day are consumed with lust and greed, wanting things or people or experiences that are forbidden from us. But we have learned to 
uh, address broken stuff in our lives by the gaining or the getting of these kinds of things. And if we can't get and get them, then we will fantasize about them. And we will pour over, uh, whether it's magazines or other print kinds of things or, or visual uh, experiences. And then others, every day, contend with jealousy, with envy, discontentment about who I am and what I have and what my life is going to be about. Friends, all these things are broken things that God cares greatly about, that God wants to bless you about, that God wants to deliver you from, that God wants to bring power into your life to set you on a new course out of that kind of cycle. We're not talking just about lifestyle issues. Friends, we are also talking about lordship issues. Because if you say, you know what, I'm sure God's way is a better way. I don't doubt that. I've seen some other people be able to get past what I seem to be hung up in. But it's just what I know. Friend, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you call Him Lord, then whatever life change He wants to usher into your being then is a lordship issue. It's not just, yeah, it'd be nice to have a better lifestyle. But it's, am I going to follow Christ or not? Will I live in congruence and alignment with Him? Or will I have a disobedient kind of life? A willful life. It really does come down to that. So will you live in your broken ways and disobey God's call to deliverance? Or will you humbly admit your need and follow Christ into transformation? It's a lordship thing. Not just, uh, yeah, I could probably have a better life. And in a moment, we're going to be coming to this table at my left for the Lord's Supper. It's a time where we say, I want to commune with you, Lord. Lord, you are my Lord. You can't commune. And you dare not be hypocritical to do a pretense to that end. If, in fact, you're not going to have Him be Lord of who you are and who you become. Well, I've asked Debbie Santi to come and share a little bit of her story with us today. Where are you, Debbie? Come. Um, I love Debbie, and I love her life. For those of you that have uh, gotten to know her a little bit, you know that she is married to Larry, and they have two beautiful daughters, four wonderful grandchildren. Uh, they own and run their own business. She's been involved in the marketplace in a variety of ways through the years. Uh, by every way that you'd want to measure, you'd have to say, um, God has blessed you. Uh, I like, I love your life. Uh, I would hope for it for a lot of people. And by that, I don't mean that it's perfect by any means. Uh, it certainly has its challenges, and it has those fearsome moments and so on. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, 
Uh, God's been very good. And you and Larry both have leaned into God uh, so that these would become reality. Uh, take us back a little bit, would you? Go back to when you were about to embark on adulthood. What was going on in your life in that kind of late adolescence time? And uh, what, was, what was up as you were embarking on adulthood? Okay, this is a little intimidating. And my blood pressure is going up. But, um, well, I've never done this before. I, that's a long time ago, Scott. That was a long time ago. Wasn't that long? All right. Um, well, I, uh, wow. I'd grown up in a, a really um, a loving family, sometimes a little bit. Um, Can you pull that up just a little bit? Like about there? Yep. Okay. Um, you know, family's a family, right? But I grew up in the 60s in Southern California. In the that sounds a lot. The heyday of, yeah. It was, and there was a lot out there yeah. to do and experience, and I wanted to experience it and do it. And even though I'd grown up in a home, I went to church every Sunday and we did all the uh, right stuff. And then you'd go home on Monday and it was like you just lived in the world again, not criticizing my family, beautiful, beautiful, loving parents, but um, just knew that I was, um, yeah, I knew that, you know, I was, God was with me. I, I felt it, but I chose to live the way I wanted to live. So making a lot of choices that um, we're actually bringing about some very, very challenging kinds of things for being a young adult. Like what? Mm, like um, going out and doing what I wanted to do. Um, not the Christian activities. Um, I um, ended up, instead of going to the prom, I ended up being married and changing diapers when my friends were at the prom. So. And so when you're watching your peers do a prom or do spring breaks or, or uh, first part of their college life. They're having, you know, the college life uh, experiences that a lot of students have. And you're, you're being a wife and you're being a mother. Uh, and I know that you love Larry and your children deeply. But at that point, it just had to be very difficult, challenging, frustrating. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. It was. It was um, totally challenging and frustrating. And uh, I really didn't know what to do with all of that. Um, I was uh, raised um, to think I was a little special. I think my father really spoiled me. And I just thought that it was about me. And as much as I wanted to be a good wife and a good mother, there was too much of me in there. Way too much of me. And not enough, not nearly enough God. Um, and wanted to be a good mom and, and really tried to be. And, uh, well, obviously, they've grown up pretty well, but um, I just didn't let God in. It was, I needed, I needed, I needed a lot, and the world had a lot to offer. So, so it was a little self-centered? Very self-centered. And that self-centeredness would express itself? In not good ways. Yeah. And I was successful to go out and get a job. I needed to work, and um, I... What well, we thought we need, you know, how that is. I was in college and I needed to work, but I was successful in, in jobs. I got kudos from that, and, and that felt good. But I was in an environment where it was encouraged in the workforce to go out, and I was did things that weren't right. Um, pity party for myself, and then I would complain, you know, about my life to other people in just inappropriate ways and did things that weren't weren't what God wanted. He was He, he was there for me, but... I certainly didn't have those blessings coming my way because I wasn't doing it God's way. Mm. I was doing it Debbie's way. 
Well, and you're actually kind of painting a picture of probably uh, what's happened with a lot of us from time to time, where God is certainly in proximity, but he's like at this arm's length because self is so central to everything. Um, and a lot of us never get out of that. A lot of us just almost all of our days, that's where we are. You got out of that. What happened? I would have stayed there. I would have stayed there. As a matter of fact, when um, things were okay, there, things were going actually really well. The girls had grown up and were on their own. I had a career that was just, um, well, I was attaining a lot of um, financial gratification and had what just, we didn't really have a lot of problems. And that's not always good. It's not always good. I think um, we know that. God, uh, maybe is it uh, too far of a distance when things are going too good? So, uh, yeah, things about seven years ago, things all fell apart. Mm. So phone call in the middle of the night that uh, my, our oldest daughter might not make it. Um, very, very serious situation. Um, uh, you lose control in those situations, and there's only one place to go. And I'm so grateful that I knew he was there, but I had never opened all the way up to letting him come in and mm-hmm. dealing with my life because I could do it and I wanted to do it and I wanted this and I wanted that but boy it doesn't make any difference when someone you love is very 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 ill mm-hmm. well and uh, we've heard a little bit of Jill's story from time to time so uh, for those of you who don't know she almost died and um, Natalie was born uh, this all happened while Jill was pregnant and was born in a very distressed state for which she still struggles and contends. And then um, sometime after that, uh, Larry had a heart attack. Larry did, uh, well, he went in for surgery. Went in that for... went very wrong. I got another one of the 3 o'clock in the morning phone calls that we don't know if we can save your husband. Yeah. And uh, I, it was during all that time that I kept laying my Isaac down. I've heard that expression. I love it. And um, you, but you do that daily, just because you have those situations like that that bring you to Christ, that bring you to your knees, and know that He's the only way. This other stuff doesn't matter. It's daily. It's a journey, though. It's not just done. Well, what you're describing is is really huge because it's the difference between time and eternity. Um, Because a lot of us have kept God just in proximity at arm's reach, um, self still central to everything. And in that, we just kind of had Christian behavior, uh, been religious, uh, do good things. But what happened for you when this whole denial thing came down was it all became more personal with Jesus. Oh, yeah. The cup always looked good on the outside. It was clean. I went to church. You know, I did the right things, and it always looked good. But I didn't go home on that, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning and get back into Scripture and and get that relationship right with God until He allowed these things in my life that I had no control over, and that this other stuff in the world didn't look so appealing and attractive and didn't matter. Well, one of our friends right now is sitting out here. And I'm, I'm guessing is thinking, I'm so stuck in my stuff. I don't know that I can ever like get out of it. 
to get into the kind of life they're talking about today, what would you say to that person? Well, I was raised in a situation where, in a denomination, that once you're baptized as an infant and you go through confirmation and you're pretty good to go, you're, you're, you're there, but um, it, it wasn't the kind of church and the kind of um, religion that really shined the light on the heart to open it up. Um, and I think that Meadowbrook has helped me a lot. And you didn't have me say this as something this on my Meadowbrook has helped me a lot get to this new relationship because um, I was raised in a church where you don't do this. You don't do this. You don't share with everyone. And I think Christ, he meant for relationships um, to be a part of his relationship with us. And he wants to shine that light out there. And if you don't share, you can't help other people. But what I would say to people that are hurt and suffering is, uh, you know, I don't know how it all works. It's a God thing. I just know that when he brought allowed these other things to come in my life, there's nowhere else to go. That saying that God is at the end of your rope, it's that's where he is. And sometimes... You have to go through some stuff that's not pretty. But he came, this happened in a time, like I was saying, that life was good. It was good, but it was empty. I remember before I got the call about Jill, experiencing life, even that week, it was just a strange thing that life was good, but it was missing something. It was empty. And uh, after that, um, going to God, going to the scripture, just opening your heart all the way like my heart had been you know there with this little fist but it's that after all this stuff you just let God in and it opens all the way and like I said it's a daily journey I meet him new every day and go to him every day but doing that that emptiness is wow it's being filled Mm. that way and not the world way because that's that doesn't matter right well, as you just said, I know that you didn't grow up with people sharing their story like this. And so it's been a real gift to us for you to do that. Thank you for letting us see some of your life. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. So as I said, you know, I, I love the life that she has, that Larry has, that their family has. Um, But it's not the kind of thing you just drift into, that you wish into, that you even have good intentions toward. It's something that you intentionally engage God about. And what I'm suggesting today is that it looks like this. You humbly admit. To be humble means I think way more of God than I think of myself. It's not about me. It's about Him. He is Lord, after all. He is Creator, after all. He is God, after all. And it behooves all of us that are part of creation to come into alignment with the Creator. That's humility. To humbly bring myself in alignment with God and admit my need, my powerlessness, my inability to run, to control, to direct a life well lived for a lifetime. And then to follow Christ. 
That means he's going to be ahead. That means that he's going to lay out steps for me to take. That means that he's going to call me in this direction as opposed to that direction. He'll be uh, charging me to live in this kind of way and not in that kind of way. And to have a sense of trust that his way is the right way and that his grace will be sufficient at every turn. Now the fact of the matter is, in the day of David and Goliath, the people of God at that point did not have confidence in the person of God. They just didn't. And they had a long track record of not having confidence in Him. Go all the way back to the point that they were being delivered from their slavery in Egypt. You remember when they came out of Egypt and they miraculously crossed that, that Red Sea and the waters parted and they began their trek across the wilderness to the Promised Land? When they come up to Mount Sinai, and God's going to meet with them in this manifest kind of way and give them the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. You know why Moses went up the mountain to get the commandments? It's because all the people, Exodus 19, all the people said, we're, we're not going to get that close to God. You go for us. Because there was thunder and lightning and volcanic activity and, and flashes of flames and all this kind of stuff. You go for us, Moses. They did not have confidence that they would be able to stand well with God or that God would be able to come through for them in ways that they needed in that wilderness experience and up to that promised land. Moses, you go. And that continued throughout all these early years of their formation as a nation so that by the time we come to the point in history that we've been talking about in a model kind of way, they start uh, pleading with the prophet Samuel that he would ask God to give them a king. Now, up to that point, God had been their king. And they're like, no, no, we need like a big, strong warrior type king. Give us somebody like Saul. And of course, if you've read the text in 1 Samuel, uh, Saul, the scriptures say, is this like handsome, which means great physique looking kind of guy who is shoulders and head above every other man in Israel. And he's quite the, the warrior. He's quite a fighter. And so it's like he is the biggest and the best of Israel. That's who we want as our king. Only when a Goliath comes out there, he's not as big and bad as Goliath. And so now it's like, uh-oh. We didn't have any confidence in God. Now we don't have any confidence in Saul compared to Goliath. What do we do? Not only did they not have confidence in God, they had not been building confidence in God. Episode after episode where they could have had this little experience with God or that little experience with God and build confidence in Him. Can I trust Him out in the wilderness to provide me water? Can I trust Him out in the desert to provide me with food? Can I trust Him about taking us into the promised land? See, time and again... They wouldn't trust, wouldn't trust, wouldn't. They were not building a track record with God. But then you come along and you meet this little guy, David. And David has high confidence in God. Why? Because David had been building confidence with God. You remember the story back in 1 Samuel 17? He says, I was out tending the flock of my father on one occasion and a lion attacked. And I took that lion by its beard 
and killed it. And later a bear attacked. And I killed that bear. And God delivered me from the lion. God delivered me from the bear. That same God will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath. Now listen to me carefully, friends. Every, if you're a follower of Christ, every episode in your life is an episode upon which God is looking to build not only in you, but for you, confidence in Him. And with every episode of life, you're either choosing to lean into Him and into His direction, and thereby building confidence, faith, trust in you toward Him, or you're not. You're continuing to lean into your own strength, into your own wisdom, into what makes sense, to how you best can figure it out. And the more you lean toward your own direction, the less confidence you're going to have toward Him. Everything in life counts. Every decision about relationships, every decision about jobs, every decision about where to move and what neighborhood to live in, every decision about purchases, every decision counts. You're either doing it with Him, building greater trust in Him, or you're doing it without. David was building a relationship with God and building confidence in God. Now, God was pleased then to use David to defeat a giant. Why? Not just because David was like one of the few guys that were leaning into God, but because it was a great opportunity to build confidence in the entire nation. Listen, if God can whip a giant with a little teenage guy like David, God can do anything. So he was looking to build confidence in a nation toward himself through what was going to transpire through David. Raises a question, how's your confidence in God? You never know when you get those 3 a.m. telephone calls. Will there be a foundation of relationship with God for that 3 a.m. telephone call? You never know when your children are going to be going through some kind of circumstance where they need dad to be a man of God. They need mom to be a woman of God. Is that who you're going to be? You never know when that work colleague or neighbor is going to be looking across that cubicle or fence and they need a person of God to help them find God. Will you be that person? Because see, this isn't just about you. This isn't just about addressing your junk in the trunk. This is about God having His way with you in such a way that He builds a life that reflects His glory and helps a confused and a distracted world to look in His direction. Will you glorify God with your trust? Will you help a world that's a little bit in the dark find the light as it reflects off of who you are and who you're becoming? Now these scary, somewhat invisible, personhood giants 
are deceptive, diabolical, debilitating, depressive, despairing. And God knows exactly what your personhood issues are. And with great grace, tenderness, and might, He's inviting you today to say, do it with me. Do life with me. Put your life in my hand. Let me begin to break the chains, to break the bonds, to set you free, to begin to empower, to inspire, to bring discernment and insight, to guide, to bless, to draw other people to me through you. Would you be willing for that to happen? Here's the reality, friends. Not only have you got junk in the trunk, but all kinds of people that we love and care about are filling their trunk. Our children and the next generation are filling their trunk. Are you familiar with cutting, dusting, choking? Cutting is where some of the kids today are so whacked out about their circumstances they begin to cut on themselves as a way of deflecting the internal pain, the emotional pain, the relational pain, the psychological pain. Dusting is taking an aerosol kind of keyboard cleaner and sniffing it and getting high. Going on all over the place. Choking is this attempt to suffocate yourself just to a point of some level of ecstasy and then stopping of course, some of them don't stop in time and they end up killing themselves. Unintentional suicide. But for all the times they're able to do it without dying, it's a rush. Listen, you began to do that during your adolescent years. What kind of junk is going to be in the trunk in those 20s and 30s? 75% of girls wish they could surgically change their body. Because that's all that has pumped their way through today's media. A few years ago, models had 8% less body weight than the average woman. Today, models have 23% less body weight than women, than the average woman. We got an entire generation coming up thinking, I just don't look very good. I want to alter that in some kind of cosmetic way. 81% of 10-year-olds believe that they're too fat. And, of course, that leads to all kinds of eating disorders and other personality disorders and relational challenges and promiscuity to deal with the pain and drugs and on and on it goes. 30% of U.S. teens have hooked up with someone in a sexual way that they met on that day. They'd heard that it was kind of cool to do that with like a total stranger. And 64% of U.S. teens have hooked up with someone that they know. Not because there was like a real dating thing happening there and all. They just want to hook up. 8,000 teens a day 
get an STD. That's the reality all around us, friends. And as these move into their 20s and step up to marriage altars and begin to have kids themselves and all this kind of stuff, and as they move into the... Man, they've got to have some moms and some dads, some grandparents. They've got to have some people that live nearby them that know God. And not just religious stuff concerning a God. But they know the person and the power of God in a life-transforming way. God did this in me. I know God can do it in you. What's your issue? What's your stuff? What's your junk? I've already said it a lot of times in here. Most of you know my stuff primarily falls around abandonment issues. When I, much, when I was a child, my dad by choice abandoned me. My brother, by premature, unexpected death, abandoned me, it felt like, while we were children. My mother, who had a breakdown after that, abandoned me, wasn't there for me. And so I come up with all this abandonment stuff that I've tried to compensate for through all the years. Friends, God has and is delivering me from those personhood giants. And in all honesty, sometimes that giant reappears. I slew it, and it was dead. And it resurrected. And I had to, to contend with it all over again. And so will you. Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul tells us, Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. You cannot pretend church, play Christianity, try to go along in religious ways. He's not going to be mocked about that. You either really have a relationship with Him and He's Lord over your life, or you do not. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, whatever kind of relationship you are building with Him, or that you're not, it's still self self Self. Whatever you sow, that is what you will reap. You cannot violate that rule and law of life. What you sow is what you reap. You don't like the life you're reaping? You're sowing the wrong life. And for those of you that have been looking toward God, leaning toward God, and it gets wearisome, it gets tiresome, it, it becomes fatiguing. Paul says, I know, I know, but let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of sowing the right kind of faith-based life in Christ. Because in due season, we're going to reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. And every week, some of us are tempted to give up. Harvest is coming. Reaping the kind of life you've been sowing in Christ is coming. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let me close with this. Do you have a personhood issue that God's calling you to turn over to Him for 
deliverance. Friend, identify that. What is it? Give it a name. Abandonment. Rejection. Fear and insecurity. My life is pitiful. Poor esteem. Whatever. You name it. Will you turn it over to Him? Admit and confess. This is it. This is the stuff. It's true for me. This is where, where, where I am. Will you turn it over? Okay, God, I've gotten comfortable with all this kind of thing. I'm going to hand this over to you. I'm no longer going to trust in what I can do, all the work I can, can perform, all the little coping techniques that I have, or if I can just acquire one more thing. I'm going to turn this over to you. Will you seek healing from Him? Sometimes healing happens like that, but very seldomly. Particularly with personhood issues. Most of the time, it involves some kind of process. Some kind of daily leaning into Him, looking toward Him, trusting in Him. And maybe that today is a first day for you. Or another first day. For you, you've tried it before. But you can make this a defining moment where I look back to November of 23, 2008, and I began to trust him in this way with this issue. And he began to set me free at that point. So here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, James is going to come and he's going to lead us in the receiving of the Lord's Supper. He'll give you all the instruction about how that will take place and how you can partake of that. But meanwhile, I'm going to be in the back with a couple of other leaders. And we're just going to be back there to pray for you. And maybe you'd say, you know, before I do communion today, I've got this lordship issue. I've been holding something back. I've still been self-centered. I need to turn this over. Would you pray for me? Well, there'll be some of us in the back. And if you, if you just need a moment of prayer, come back there and let us pray for you. Then come and receive the Lord's Supper. Maybe you want to deal with something in the seat right where you are. And then come and receive the Lord's Supper. We're not in a hurry. Jerry's going to be leading us with James during that time. However you need to go about being able to commune with God. That's what this time is for. Let's pray. So, Father, we turn to You right now, as best we know, with You as our Lord, inviting You to have Your will and Your way with us. In Jesus' name, Amen.